0: Welcome to the Groove Buds Show, where we dive into the trials and tribulations of being a musician and explore what it takes to make it, whatever that means. All right, well, I'm going to go ahead and kick this thing off, Sean.
1: You mean you didn't already?
0: Well, I'm recording, but I, uh, I'm going to give a, an official intro. I'm
1: going to do a, uh, what do they call the...
0: A... Slate? Slate, yeah. Slate it. <laughs> no, yeah, sure. We can slate. Slate. <laughs> <laughs> Take one. <clears throat> All right. Uh, welcome back to the Groove Buds show. I'm here with my dear friend uh, from the Paradise Valley, south of Livingston, here. He's a Montana native, and he's often referred to as the Treasure State Troubadour. And he's also been called the Bob Dylan of Montana by Mr. Ward Davis. Uh, today, we've got my dear friend, Sean Devine. John, I've been
1: called a lot of other things by a lot of other people too, but I—that's—we'll leave it right there. I think those two are uh, uh, really—I like those two. (laughs) (laughs) Well, yeah, I'll let you do the uh, the, ask the questions because I have so many questions already.
0: Yeah, well, that's me too. That's why I started this show was. um to try and find answers to my questions
1: to the questions yeah
0: so i have a, a couple for you to i guess just to kick off you've got a new album coming out soon called uh can i share the name sure it's called here for it all
1: heck yeah this is this is what we call pr i think what we're doing here i'm yeah i'm i'm hyping a record and that's always a good feeling um here for it all that is uh, a record that i've actually had recorded for I mean, maybe a year and a half, and I was about a year ago now. I thought that I would be in release mode. And what I was instead was in uh, in quarantine, <laughs> like everybody else. So uh, I just put the record on the shelf. And that was hard to do. But uh, I know that wasn't the hardest thing anybody had to do because it was a global pandemic. And I don't mean to sound like I'm feeling sorry for myself i'm really excited that we are finally getting to move forward with it now yeah me too just about a year after i thought we would uh right in this zone yeah it's gonna be uh well you've heard uh this album uh james all yeah, i'm gonna go ahead and divulge that to your audience that you you are an insider uh in the here for it all camp yeah thanks
0: i've listened to it again a couple times. Um... It sounds fantastic, and I can't wait for you to release it to the world, man.
1: Man, I can't either. Is it, are you able to, like, debut a song in your in your podcast?
0: I can sure do that, but uh, you know, you wanted can, to check with you, you first. in. Uh, we can always add it in later too, just to make sure we don't uh, mess up any of your release plans.
1: But. Right, that's true. I'm I'm working with uh, a PR consultant for the first time in my entire career. And I hope it's not too late. (laughs) She's got a big job to do and I'm, I'm rooting for her and yeah, you're right. I should, I should probably run it by Maria, uh, as to whether we could, we can leak any tracks.
0: Yeah, we can do that later too. Um, as far as the timing man it sounds to me like it's right based on the album and you know you had to wait and we all had to go through some things but uh, we're coming around and you know it seems like uh, we'll all be able to hang out together a little soon hopefully anyway I wanted to talk about the inspiration for the album a little bit and see if you had just anything that Triggered that was there a story was here for it all the <clears throat> impetus for the record or why did you maybe decide to to make another one I know you had a couple albums uh, previously and nobody ever wants to stop but
1: yeah you know it's this is this was a, a, a strange and new experience for me uh, top to bottom and even as I say top to bottom out loud I feel like it, it's even inverted like it was an upside down experience in so many ways that it, it was that different for me. Uh, in all of my previous uh, record making, album making projects, I, I had, uh, you know, the, the, the first and final cut, it was all, I was working alone a lot of the time. I had my own studio, you know, and I was my own engineer and, and producer and, and I played uh, multiple instruments even on, on my old records. And I think that shows <laughs> I think those old records sound kind of in in some ways funky and and homemade uh because they they were, but i didn't uh i didn't have there was no no question, no uh bouncing something off of somebody that ever really happened, and I surely didn't have uh a designated creative authority in the room beside myself i mean I was that 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 entity, all the time. Even through Austin Blues, where we we worked in a studio in Austin and we had session players, in a roomful, we we cut that uh, album almost entirely live into a twenty-four track tape machine. Cool. And I'd made a commitment going into that project that I wasn't going to uh, digitize it and, and use uh, editing software. I'm still kind of uh, I'm still on the outside of that world it's it's a it's a strange we did use that on here for it all we did take advantage of of editing and 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 such on this new record but all the way up until this record uh, I had never done that and I didn't want to I felt like that I might it might contaminate the purity of of the expression in some way Uh, that was that mattered to me a lot actually so but so the beginning of, of here for it all, for instance, what I mean by an upside down experience is that, in all those previous records, I had a list of songs, that I intended to record, and and that list had been composed in advance, because it presented a narrative, because it, it combined themes, and that there was a feeling of a, uh, a catharsis. What, what is what's the French word these in the movies? The denouement? You got me. That's so, that, you know, I, I think a song cycle is supposed to do that. I think an album is supposed to take you on that kind of uh, archetypal journey mm-hmm. through uh, uh, an emotional experience. And, and hopefully, if the artist has done uh, their job well, that you have an emotional experience that's both entirely your own, because you're processing the music in your own mind. But also that you have a shared experience with the artist, that you relate, you've connected over that that body of work, those those songs, and the narrative that it presents. I, I, I love that. I mean, I, I feel like ever since I first discovered that that was going on in music and in an album, that I fell in love with that concept right there. You know, that an album takes you on a, on a journey. It takes you to some place, and and then it drops you off in a different place than where you started. You've been someplace. You've been changed and moved in some way. Yeah. So I always made like albums that you know a series of songs that does that. And and with here for it all, the the first thing was I, I hired a producer, and a guy that I have a lot of respect for. And uh, and I was excited to get to work with a, a producer and for the first time. So I didn't want to mess it up. You know, I didn't want to I didn't want to inhibit that that in any way. So I just really gave him carte blanche. And, and the first thing I did was, was ask him to pick the music that he wanted to record. Like, I wanted him to make the Shawn Divine record that he wanted to hear. And I was excited to find out what that was, you know? Hmm. when when we get there. <laughs> Come on. So uh, he said, OK, well, send me you know, everything that you want me to consider. for, And, and I had 26, I think, unrecorded titles Just kind of piled up around the house so these are all new well they're all they've never been on any records before they're new in that way some of them are pretty old songs but songs that I still believe in you know that I still feel like uh, they're still telling my story they're still say things that I still need to say so I I recorded all those songs in my smartphone you know the voice memo thing and just started firing them off to Josh (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Josh Actually, Can think,
0: you say tell me Josh who?
1: Josh Thompson. Josh Thompson is uh from he's in the Tone Deaf Hippies, Cody Jinx, stage band and studio band. It's all. Oh, cool. George Strait style. The same same crew does everything. And uh, uh and Josh has been producing for like the last half dozen Jinx albums. He's been he's been uh serving in that capacity also. Oh. And he's very, he's, he's very strong in that capacity too, uh, by the way. I mean, again, i would never hired a producer before, so I didn't know what to expect, but so how'd you find him? He's a, just, he's, he's almost martial in his approach, <laughs> <laughs> very hardworking guy. Interesting. Uh, how did I find him? I,
0: I, like, how do you, how did you decide uh, an, on a producer and um, oh you know, well and, and then the, there
1: is a story that goes uh that so um I I was asked to 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 play music to join forces on a on a a short Montana tour back in twenty sixteen with a Nashville uh songwriter, a fella named Ward Davis. And I didn't even know who he was and, and the guy who asked me my, my buddy, uh, Leif Oystead from uh, Vi Productions called me up and and said that he'd taken a call. Somebody wanted to, Ward wanted to come to Montana and and he was looking for maybe somebody to pair up with. You know, since nobody knows who Ward is and and uh, anyway, I, I I accepted that proposition on pretty scant knowledge. I knew that Ward. Um, I didn't actually. I bought the. This is going to spread out a little before I collect it back together. Hang in, <laughs> <That's there. cool. laughs> hang in there. That's cool. Hang in there. There was uh, uh, the, uh, the, the Willie Nelson, Merle Haggard album, uh, Django and Jimmy, had just come out. And I had been really digging. Uh, the, they posted some videos on social media of like Willie and Merle in a recording studio and with their headphones on and like sitting Willie's wearing his gym shorts or I think and, and his flip flops and they're passing a big joint back and forth and cutting this album and looking like they're having a great time. They're they're laughing. It's just, I mean it that I hope that I I hope that I can get old like that. Do that. Yeah. Do. <laughs> That's really I I so I I bought into that. Like, literally, I went to Cactus Records in Bozeman and bought that CD, and I was listening to it in my in my CD player in my Suburban on the way back over the Bozeman Pass. And uh, a really pretty song came on, maybe three songs in or so, called My Unfair Weather Friend, and I immediately fell in love with the song. It's my kind of song, just yeah. heartfelt and soulful and, and sweet and... Uh, and I I just knew right then I was going to cover the song. I planned on going home and learning it. I hadn't got around to that yet when I took the call from Leif Voice Dead though, and I was loading gear into my Suburban out of, I think I'd just played the thing in Catabatic. And I was loading in the alley, and I took the call from uh, from Leif asking if I'd like to go do a run of shows uh, up here with, with Ward Davis. And, and I said, Ward who? <laughs> And he said, well, I don't know if you've heard that new uh, Willie and Merle record that just came out, but there's a real pretty song on there uh, called My Unfair, Well. I said, yeah, I, I will play music with that guy. <laughs> yes, let's do that. And we did do that, and we had a great time. Uh, kind of hit it off right away. And um, and then Ward wanted to come back after that trip, and and he did a second run of shows that same fall, I think. That was like spring and fall of 2016. And, uh, you know, we weren't making hardly hardly any money. It was like nobody knew uh, right through both of those trips hardly uh, who Ward Davis was. And and the truth is, as as you probably know, uh, James, there hasn't been a very robust like singer-songwriter scene in Montana. Mm. It's getting better. These new festivals and stuff that I've been uh, really blessed to participate in that there, there's been a lot of focus drawn on singer songwriters just lately, and I'm grateful for that. But even back in 2016, when Ward and I were running around, you know, we were playing to like seven people in a bar called the Red Door in Billings. Oh. And in the next room, it was like karaoke night, and it was packed oh, and loud. <laughs> So I think by the time Ward left Montana, he would probably resigned himself to like, there was no point in coming back as a single like that, you know, Mm -hmm. that it wasn't, uh, wasn't worth the playing fair. And, uh, but we kept in touch, you know, we really did become friends and running around Mm -hmm. like that. And, and uh, so the next time that I heard for actually that second trip where we played together, he was going on and on about uh, this Cody Jinx guy. And he'd written a song with Cody called "I'm Not the Devil," and and uh, he was saying, you know, just watch out because this guy's gonna blow up. He's gonna be huge. You mark my words. And and I was like, yeah, okay, man, I'll take your word for it. I'd never heard of Cody either at that point. And uh, and then he was back home in Nashville. And the next time I think I heard from him, uh, "I'm Not the Devil" was gonna be the title track of the new Cody Jinks record. And then Cody invited Ward to go out on tour with him. Ward hired up a band, you know, got a whole production together, printed up the t-shirts and all, you know, just in a hurry, and went out with uh with Cody on tour and and it was on the I'm not the devil tour they were playing in at the Wilma in Missoula. And uh Ward invited me to come up if I could make it, you know. Which for your listeners maybe you don't the Montana's a pretty big state and that was like a 4-hour trip. Mhm to go to Missoula but we did Quimby and I went over there and uh you know we got the lanyard and so we were hanging out uh backstage and and uh that was and Ward introduced me to Cody and his band Josh and the rest of the band that night in the uh, back of the Wilma and that's where he introduced me as the the Bob Dylan of Montana
0: uh-huh I see
1: yeah which you know Ward is uh he's a he's a, a, a bit of a prankster you know He's he's got a, a pretty wicked sense of humor so my first thought was that that was a joke and I was chuckling as I was shaking Cody's hand I'm like yeah but then later I kind of realized that Ward maybe actually meant that and I thought shit what if he actually meant that you know mm-hmm. <laughs> what a what a thing to hang on your buddy man we all, I mean, anybody who writes songs reveres Dylan. I think you have to. You would be, You. I don't yeah. know what kind of cave you'd have to go crawl into to not appreciate. I, the,
0: I agree. I don't think you'd be doing your job as a songwriter if you didn't pay attention
1: this to just what he's epic, done. This mythological character now that Dylan is in mm-hmm. the American pop culture landscape, it's it's. The, Anybody can pick isolated incidences about Dylan and say, well, yeah, but what about that? And What about that? You know, and this whole like phase that he went through where he was like staring at his shoes and mumbling the words and the audience was all mad at him. And I think, yeah, well, when you've made 60 studio records and toured the world over as that many times, you know, and, and you have... I mean, if any one of us wrote one song that made it in the Great American Songbook, you know, yes. that would be remembered a couple generations down the road. That's an epic achievement. Yeah, and I he's think. done it a yeah, hundred times. <laughs> you know, I mean, what do we even? So, this is so I'm not. I mean, I don't regard myself as as having a, an actual uh, like creative power uh, that is that is comparable to Dylan. I just want your listeners to appreciate that I'm I'm not. But I think that because Ward and I had been swapping songs on stools with acoustic guitars in our lap and mostly for audiences that were either uh, they're like aggressively disinterested, like they were noisy, you know, and there might even have been TVs on some places we played, or there were audiences that were really close and intimate and appreciative and open to anything. So anyway, we didn't have any like pressure on us. To, we didn't have to just play the hits, right. It wasn't yeah. like that kind of thing. We played whatever we wanted. And and I think that we shared... Like, I heard Ward Davis songs that aren't on any of his records. And he heard stuff from, my, like, maybe my old records or just whatever I felt like... You guys kind of shared tunes. Expressing at the time, you know? And, and I think that it was because of that, because he'd heard stuff that I had written, that made him think of, like, it was Dylan-esque or something. Which is still a huge compliment. Yeah. Yeah, that's... But it came to pass that, uh subsequently, later on, I... I I'd asked Ward for if I could get a quote from him for my for my promo pack like you know just an endorsement from Ward Davis because he was starting to get some real traction and it looked like he might uh, go places and that can be helpful right somebody that's you've heard of says this guy's cool yeah and you'll check it out and he said, "Well, what do you mean, man? I already said you're the Bob Dylan of Montana." I was like, "You seriously want me to print that?" He's like, "Well, yeah." <laughs> so we're going with it. Man. <laughs> yeah, dude, that's great. That's awesome. Uh,
0: I would agree. I mean, there there's a lot of talent in this state, but I don't know that I've met anybody that um, compares in terms of the, you know, the ability to really tap into your story, um, you know, sharing your album with me, I had that experience you were talking about of um, just really connecting on my own and also with you as the artist and being able to hear your stories in those songs. And uh, I think that's what, what Dylan did really well, or I other think, people's stories.
1: I think that is the job, you know, Whether uh, and, and it's, all, it's on each of us to do that as well as we can. Yeah. I really believe that. Well, so back to Here for It All. So I, because I'd met uh, Josh and, he, and I'd been introduced as the Bob Dylan of Montana, uh, he was curious to hear my songs. And and uh, curious enough that and by then, like, Ward and I were drunk, like, hanging on each other, back by Cody's bus. Because there's part of Cody's rider is like, I don't know, like a beer truck full of Miller Lite. That's his brand, and it's this palette... <laughs> <laughs> Backstage that's just fucking ridiculous and and we were doing our best you know to make a dent in that and uh anyway, so i Josh asked me if to if I'd like to send him some songs he'd like to hear my stuff and and I handed him my phone and he typed in his name and his phone number and then the next morning, I woke up in a a, a crappy little motel room up there in North Missoula. With a rage and headache, and and and, my first thought was I gotta find some coffee, and my second thought was, what was that guy's name last night? <laughs> 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 so I did it in that order. I got some coffee, and then I was scrolling through the phone, like, come on, you know. And and finally when I saw it, I knew it. Like, oh, that—that's the guy, yeah. And I sent him a text right then, like, "Are you the guy that I met last night, Cody's bass player, and and you want to hear some songs?" And he wrote me right back, "Yeah, man, send me what you got." So we started a dialogue right then, and and uh, eventually he said that he, he he really he liked the songs that I was sending him, but he uh, he wasn't going to cut any of them for Cody's new record, which had been the motivation in, to in the first place, and uh, and I was fine. You know, I accepted that. Uh, I was excited, you know, and grateful that I uh, that he'd wanted to hear my songs, and then he genuinely seemed to like them. Interesting. So the idea was you were kind of pitching songs and for the yeah, album for, at first. Yeah, or or maybe to write with Cody or something. He works yeah. with some other songwriters that I also know and have worked with, uh, mm-hmm. Josh Morningstar and Tom McIlvain are both guys that I've I've gigged with. And then it turned to, into your own album. So yeah, and so on a subsequent, I, I went to see him on, on two or three Montana shows, uh, and um, and one of those, I think we were back in Missoula maybe a year later, and uh, and Leif and I, Leif Hoisted and I went up to, to see him at the Wilma, and and got the lanyards again. So we're hanging out back by the bus, and uh, Cody's always, you know, he signs autographs and. Busy. shakes hands and takes pictures for like a couple hours after the show. He That's he great. stays to everybody. Yeah, he's really, really strong that way. So, uh, and the, you know, there's guys helping like load the gear out and stuff. So there's a little hang time, you know, for the rest of us <laughs> <laughs> who have neither of those responsibilities. So I was getting to visit with uh, with Josh Moore and, and a couple other guys in the band too just getting to know them a little bit and uh and we all ended up at a, at a a bar just just up the street after everything was kind of buttoned up we went out and had a few more beers and that's when i kind of spontaneously just thought hey man i need to make a record you know it's been like it at that point it'd been 4 years since Austin blues and i was like i need a new thing i've got a bunch of songs maybe you'd Consider producing a record on me, Josh, and to my surprise, uh, he just like smiled and nodded his head, like he'd been waiting for me to ask him. You know, it was really a sweet moment. I, I still kind of can't believe that it it went down that way. It was, seemed so easy and so casual, and and from that point on, you know, it was just he took over, and and powered up a, a project that uh, I was very much in the back seat on. You know, I was doing as I was told (laughs) most of the time because he he had a uh, I don't know if he had a plan right from the from the beginning. But by the time he decided that he was just going to use the his band, the the Tone Deaf Hippies for the session band, uh, that this record was, I think, already taking form by that time Uh because those guys worked together. They would probably heard the songs All the and maybe time. even played them already. They might. I don't know. I don't yeah. know how much prep they they had done by the time I went to to Sonic Ranch to work with them. But they uh, is that they were well prepared.
0: Their go-to place, or did you guys pick that as a as a destination?
1: No, that's the thing. It's uh, Cody. Is, uh, you know, I also know some of his fans from just the circuit. You know, from being out on the road and. And uh, playing some of the same joints that Cody used to play, frankly. Like this, this little bitty place out in, uh, in Nebraska. Outside of Omaha, I think the nearest town is called Venice. Venice, Nebraska. But it's not like canals and gondolas at all. I don't know why they call it Venice. Maybe <laughs> there were some canals, but I didn't see them. But it's a little bitty, uh, and they proudly refer to themselves as a dive bar. It's called Buck's. Bucks Barn Grill in uh in Nebraska in, in Venice, Nebraska. And sweet people and and Cody had been playing there since uh gosh, I don't know, for since nobody had heard of Cody either. I'm I'm pretty sure of that. And uh and Ward went through that and a, and a bunch of the other kind of Cody cousins that made their way through Bucks Barn Grill. And uh and I'd played there and I met some guys that, like, were, they'd started Cody's Fan Club, you know, like the online thing that's, oh. that's huge now. Like, the guys that started that Facebook thing, or one of them for sure anyway, uh, William Higgins is his name, sweet guy. So right, right away I felt like, you know, these guys were interested in what I was doing too, and, and I was being welcomed into like a, a community, you know, a, mm-hmm. a culture and uh, uh, why was I telling we you about We're talking about, all about all this stuff? How, how did Jeez.
0: you how did you choose Sonic Ranch, or, or is that just their studio mm. that they go to?
1: Those guys, I think it might have been William Higgins, or well, anyway, somebody who had been following Cody for a long time felt that his maybe his breakout record, like a big difference maker for him, was recorded at Sonic Ranch Studio. In Sonic Ranch's is a working pecan farm and some of the old ag buildings are are being steadily renovated into recording studios. So it's more than one studio. It's like, there's a studio in the old, like, Hacienda, the main house, Studio A, and then there's a, uh, another studio in an old machine shop called the Adobe Room. And that's where Cody made a record called the Adobe Sessions. Uh, And I don't remember what year that was made but that, you worked in that same studio it was then? a ways back so he'd been that was a that was a big record for him and he'd been going back and working in that same room the adobe room mm. since then just like the way that works for him yeah so that's a place where josh feels really uh, comfortable too and and uh, yeah ultimately that was josh's proposition how would you like to just come to sonic ranch and cut the record in the adobe room with the tone deaf hippies <laughs> Okay. Um, yeah, well, all right. Let's do that. <laughs> Why not do that? It's been so successful so far. Yeah. Well, I think it
0: uh, it worked. The, the songs sound... Um, I don't know how to say this. They're a whole another level up from what I've heard uh, just around the area or on your albums before. I wanted to ask if there's any... Particular favorites. I'm guessing here for it all is obviously a favorite, but you've got nine tracks. Are there any, any one in particular or two that are?
1: You know, so that, like, believe it or not, I still remember that I was starting off to tell you about how this record was like an upside down experience for me or an inside out experience. All oh, right. And that Josh had had chosen the songs. He'd chosen ten songs that he, he wanted to record, and and uh, you know I was game for any of them. Uh, everything I sent him, I was ready to go and, and play. And uh, But Here For It All, that song, which is, is now the title track, was something that I had actually written and forgotten about. But uncharacteristically, I don't normally do this, but I had actually recorded a video of myself playing the song in my own studio at home. And I think maybe so I would remember like the capo position and the chord changes or something, I just shot a video so I could like remember what I did. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and when I was going through looking for something else in my phone, in, in the, the, the photo library, I stumbled across this video. And I watched it and I thought, well, that's actually a pretty cool song. Hmm. <laughs> what about that one? So it almost didn't even show up in the Dropbox that went to Josh at all. But I stumbled across it and went, "Oh, I better send that to Josh. Maybe he'll like that one." And I demoed it into the voice memos and and shot it over there, and made it part of that portfolio. And he did like it, and and uh, so that you know, for me to make a record that with a title track and, and, a, and a, a, a series of songs that I, I don't even know if it forms a narrative mm. yet because I didn't compose this. He, it did that, for me, just yeah. That's it. the th- it's and I'm. I'm amazed that even though it was completely upside down and backwards as a process for me, because I'm not used to seeding all that creative control and et cetera, what we end up with, though, is a record with that title track that just, like, squeaked through as the door was closing. (laughs) (laughs) And it sets up a a song cycle that is a complete experience. You know? It just worked together like I... I'm, I probably wouldn't have been able to put it together as, as well as it came together if I tried. Yeah. So maybe one of, the, one of the, the lessons from this whole experience has to do with, you know, if you think you got a good horse, just go ahead and drop the reins. Hmm. You might get there faster.
0: Interesting. <laughs> I was thinking um, the lesson that I was taking was that just working with people more but uh collaborating more but i think you really pointed it out more it's it's letting go of those reins and trusting in the folks that you hire to do their job well
1: yeah i you know that it really is it's for me it has been a a letting go and allowing more uh other people to have more influence on what's happening and that was partly like it was true with Austin Blues because in, in, that, in those sessions there just wasn't a creative director in the room at all. I, I knew which songs I wanted to record and, and I'd, I'd hired musicians based partly on recommendations. So you were the producer for that one? I was, but I wasn't re- I was still functioning as an artist in the studio. I was still very much a member of the session band and playing the songs, just doing my part. And finding out what they were going to sound like on playback, you know, let's go listen to that, and then like, wow, you guys are this is amazing. (laughs) So in that way, I had given up a lot of creative control. There was it was collaborative, you know. Like, if if uh, the drummer, who's uh, become a good friend of mine, Travis Woodard, if, if if he'd gotten a feel for the song that was very different than what I was feeling. For it, then we'd talk about that. you know, mm-hmm. I'd, I'd play like a beat on my knees and, and he'd go, "Okay, I'll, I'll try it that way. let's see what happens." And, and we'd find a thing that worked for both of us. but I hadn't even though I'd done pre-production in terms of I'd recorded all the songs in a DAW on my laptop with a click track, so I, I had a good feel for tempos mm-hmm. and, uh, and arrangements. I knew, for instance, like how long is the instrumental section? That was I decided that stuff in advance. Oh. And I charted everything, like folky charts, the lyrics with the chords kind of thing. So everybody had a chart of the song in front of them in the studio to follow. And they made notes on the charts as we came up with ideas and stuff. Interesting. So your charts were just like the
0: song written out in poetry form almost with the chords written above it.
1: Yeah, I actually you use uh,
0: music paper
1: as well, and like print. no, it's just blank printer paper. And I yeah. I came up with a, a format in, in my word processor that it basically is um, is using the uh, what's that key that has the the like the the brackets the parentheses and then there's one that's just a straight up line like just to the right of that the way. pipe the, the pipe yeah so I use the pipe key for measure lines. Oh yeah. So I say what the time signature is, and it's either four four three four. Cause come on. Yep. And so you know the time signature, and you know where the one is, because mm-hmm. there's a measure line. And then I try to position the chords approximately on the beat or the and
0: hmm.
1: within that time signature, so that you can. And then the the words I actually arrange inside the measure lines, so that they fall on the chord change or the beat. So it doesn't look like a poem huh. to, to read it. You, you'd you have to follow along with the words inside the measure lines to, to gradually get an idea what the song is about. So it does look more like a piece of music. Yeah, it is. It's presented to, to be appreciated more for for the musical values, mm-hmm. because it's for session musicians to follow. Yeah. And a lot of times I've discovered they don't even know what I'm singing about till like, way later. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> anyway, yeah. Sometimes you never know. it's not the first thing on their mind. <laughs> yeah.
0: Hey, man, uh, do you want to take a quick break, stand up and walk around and come back to this? I have a couple more questions, but...
1: Uh, sure, yeah, just let's have a little stretch break. Stretch legs? Okay, great. then you play like a little jazz segue something like that i think i got some congos going (laughs) for 10 seconds the jamesy segue yeah you can hear it it's great do you really want to stand up and move around jamesy up
0: to you, man. I just had a cut. Co- I mean, we've been going for a, a good amount of time, and I was oh. just going to ask kind of more about your process of songwriting.
1: I get talking, then, man, and I just, I'm just a fucking talk machine. Plus, I coffeed up on the way down here.
0: Well, let's let's ask. Let's just continue on. Okay. We'll
1: fi- finish this up. I just wanted to ask
0: about your your process for songwriting and see um, if you kind of start with the lyrics first or music first. Um, I, I've heard you tell me that you have a big collection of ideas in your journal. Um, but when you're actually getting around to a song, is it, do you start with either one in particular, um, music versus lyrics,
1: or uh, how does that go for you? Well, my favorite thing ever since I was a pretty young kid was when I felt like I was hearing a song in my head that I gradually figured out that I had not actually heard before. Hmm. That is my favorite and and that doesn't happen uh, very often it's not uh, It's not a thing that a person should probably uh, count on in any practical way at all, although it does still happen from time to time. And I think uh, another thing I've noticed is that there's there does appear to be like that experience you know where you just hear a song, and sometimes it's like lucid dreaming, like during the night I wake up. Uh, and I I don't necessarily remember a dream or what I was dreaming about, but I'm hearing music playing in my head. And, uh, and that's really, you know, then the job is just to get up and get to an instrument and, and start trying to reproduce, like figure out what's going on. If it, If it's a song you really like, then you have to go figure it out. Even if it's the middle of the night and it's cold and the fire in the wood stove is already out and you have to like get some socks and some long johns and shit and not lose the song that's in your head. Mm. This is where it becomes a discipline. Yeah. <laughs> this is where it becomes physical, is staying with the, the idea when the, when the inspiration happens. And because I'm, I'm, and I'm sure I've, I've, I've lost a thousand of them because I was too lazy or it wasn't a good time, you know, where that, that moment struck and then something else was distracting or had to take precedent in that moment. And I, you know, I don't beat myself up over uh, all that very much. Although there from time to time, I remember kind of partially remember some really cool idea that I, that I, I lost. That it's I know is lost. It's too late to cobble it back together. There's a moment. There's an energy, you know, of that moment where the where the the music is playing. And then I've also noticed as I'm as time goes on, you know, and I've and I've been doing this, or I've just been myself for a long time now. That it's when I'm driving down the road, and I'm just kind of slapping on my knee, you know, and I maybe even start to like humming or something, completely like like subconsciously or, or unconsciously or, or not what I'm thinking about at all. Preoccupied in some other way. And I and I realize that I'm grooving on something. You know, that it's just happening in the background all the time. It's practically all the time. Every time if I if I if I stop being distracted by whatever I think I'm thinking about, I can pretty much always grab the groove that is happening in the background that's always going on, all the time. And and so those are things like I try to... when I really think it's something cool or or sweet, and, and this is... Uh, it, it belongs to the moment very often too, that I think that this is an exceptionally cool idea. Mm-hmm. And because I listen back later and I go, well, well you know, really? <laughs> but the thing is, I'm actually trying to attend to those things. And figure out a way so I I've recorded like for instance on tour by myself there's a lot of windshield time you know I'm just steering the van down the highway for hours and hours and that's an excellent time for an idea to happen right that this would be a great time why don't you just talk to me now you know (laughs) inspiration and but so instead of waiting for the whole song to be playing in my head and, and to be like blown away by that experience I've, I have started to, kind of actively listen to, just the the groove that's happening, and then I'll I'll hum into the the smartphone, or or play a groove on my knees, or try to capture in some way what that is. And so now I have a collection of voice memos in my iPhone that if you were to just sit and listen to them just scroll through and listen to it. it would be hilarious yeah i'd love to hear <laughs> just some completely of that. insane sounding shit i think the, i
0: have some of the same type of stuff just,
1: i've you know, I'm, i imagine you would because what you're doing is putting grooves together so that has to come from somewhere and, and before you get to your 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 workstation where you're able to to use actual sounds you must be just like slapping your cheeks. Yeah, just comes out the mouth. And humming something. and just something. Yeah. Yeah, I, sound, I sound like a, I'm
0: a scat person. My, my wife always makes fun of me because it's like... I think you heard some on my little grooves, right? Yeah. Anyway.
1: It's fun yeah, and totally ridiculous. It. And, and it's certainly a, a creative process that's best attended to when you're by yourself. <laughs> <laughs> It'd be hard to keep it together. Well, somebody would be very entertained and, and that would lead you away, I think, from...
0: I think we're not alone. I've watched a lot of like uh, songwriting and production tutorials and videos or master classes whatever you want to call it and and seen a lot of folks do the similar approach. They'll hear something in their head and they mumble it into their voice memos and <clears throat> drop that into their uh, DAW and then like find the tempo and key structure and chords and build on that idea and turns it into something else, right? So Yeah. Yes, however it happens it happens.
1: It's, I mean, the fact that there's some work involved, I think, is really, is, it makes it, uh, well, it makes it feel more legit. I think your point, in in Some, some ways. Ways. the hardest work is showing up, getting
0: up out of the bed, for me, at least.
1: Yeah. Showing up. And when you know, like, their alarm's going to go off in an hour and a half anyway, and, and you really would rather have that hour and a half of sleep because then you've got to work all day, and there's the kids and every, you know, that whole thing weighs on your mind at the same time that you know... You've got this sweet little piece of music rolling through your head that <laughs> isn't going to write itself. You know? yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's almost like it's almost like that God's like, wicked sense of humor. that's what I was telling it for a while, like God's own radio when you just hear the song playing and you gradually realize this isn't somebody else's song. I've never heard this song before. Hmm. What is this? Whoa okay okay this is for me okay okay let me uh let me me write that down let me get a pen what are we gonna do yeah like literally you know hearing verses and and lyrics and stuff that's when it's particularly powerful or moving for me because i'm i'm not a sophisticated musician i I think that i've i've absorbed a lot of musical style uh just by being a a listener and a a lover of music you know I've, i've I'm steeped in it. I've soaked up a lot of stuff, but I not in a way that I could probably parse out and describe to you intelligently. This this amalgamation of musical styles that that I recognize as as my style now is all your it's, influences. It, it's all yeah. It's all means. it's all gummed up together, and 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 that's fine. I I didn't I don't normally need to be uh, an articulate or sophisticated. Composer, you know, I don't need to describe these things intelligently for the most part, but the words are the words. You know, there's no getting around that. That the words, um, we're all speaking the same language when it's English. You know, when we're, and so the music can 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 span all the language barriers and and all the gaps, and and it can be if it's groovy, it's groovy. You know, anybody's going to feel that, and and like, but if the words. If the words don't don't somehow penetrate the 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 shell of of um, intellectual understanding in the way that music kind of automatically does, if the words don't get there too, then they then they detract from they lessen the experience of uh, that the music is there to present. They you know it's dangerous. Words are, are in some ways they're really it's it's um. I'm particularly sensitized about about the words in that way, you know I really Do I'm a words out. guy, and, and I really like if <laughs> if the words suck, you know yeah. like and I don't mean like like I like be lula as much as anybody, you know, and Shamalama ding dang and stuff like that. I get it if it's it's gibberish because that's musical, you know that's what made that groove pop. Mm-hmm. She's my baby. I'm not arguing with that lyric, right? <laughs> you know, at all. <laughs> but if if the words are are laid out as as so as to say something, then you know now that better be good, mm-hmm. because I will abandon a song mercilessly if the words are not getting me there. I. It distracts, it takes away from. It's a complete bummer. Yeah. <laughs> so that. that's what I'm putting myself up against, you know, every time I put pen to paper. And and uh that doesn't mean that I'm, you know, I, I, I that doesn't mean that I'm aspiring to 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 break any any barrier that I can think of, you know. I mean, I I, I think Dylan was probably pretty astounded and, and, and skeptical when, when he was presented, when he was offered the Pulitzer Prize for literature. <laughs> mm-hmm. Uh, and I, and I, I support that. I mean, I think that it's, it's valid. It's a, it's a breakthrough interpretation of song lyric though. I mean that, and I'm sure that's why Dylan took his time getting around to like, what am I going to say about this? Because it's not the first time that he'd been, he'd been given a pretty serious award, but the Pulitzer. Yeah. And, uh, and uh, you know that's not. I don't think he aspired to. I don't think he ever thought of himself as a Pulitzer Prize-winning lyricist. That wasn't something that that went through Dylan's head when he's putting pen to paper. I bet not. I, I, I just I bet not. Agree. He's always up against the same thing every time. I think, and, and which is what you and I are, which is that how are how am I going to get these these same twenty-six letters, <laughs> 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 sliced that's and diced, and notes. put together <laughs> into a thing so that it's magic, yeah. you know, mm-hmm. so that it just. Phew, it does the trick it it does the it pulls the rabbit out of the hat it, it it chops the lady in half and puts her back together the words do this thing that is is incalculable finally mm-hmm. and that and i love that and i'm i'm always uh i'm always energized by that by that challenge and i uh and i i throw away a lot of words i i spend not as much time as i used to because i just don't i'm it's, the process becomes more efficient, I think, and for, or at least for me it has, you know, so that I'm not even taking myself up on an idea that that doesn't feel like it's got some weight, you know, that's really mm-hmm. like, oh, okay, now we're into something here. This is going to go someplace, I think. And even then, it's it's a pretty high percentage of time where I go with that for a while and, and I write until The get to get to the, 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 f- the feeling of the energy is kind of spent, you know, and then I just have to set it down, and go. Well, I go next time I see this. Hopefully, that uh, that spark is going to light again. But I don't want to find myself in a space where I'm doing a lot of like really self-conscious tinkering Working. too with the words, because my experience has been that I'll tend to diminish. It'll you'll start to hear the try in it, and I think if you hear the try in it, then it's not. Uh, it's not going to make it, you know? It's just not going to make I mean, it, yeah. Um, do you know what I mean by that?
0: I do. Yeah. <clears throat> do, you, do you hear that in a lot of today's music, would you think? Because I feel like the songs that are out, put out there, there's a lot of try.
1: There's a lot more. We we have access to so much that, uh, yeah, man, I still I have a very active filter. <laughs> so I don't really actually listen to much new music, and probably not as much new music as I should listen to. But uh, especially, you know, it's just again because it's there's been some time in here. I've been. Well, you can
0: decide I, right away whether yeah, you want to
1: listen or not. I've been a like. professional, even at this. Not not I've been I've been making up songs since I was a kid, but I've been a working musician for over thirty years, and and uh i go th- I've, i go through periods even now or like phases where i'm i'm sort of more open to to new stuff you know i'm more permissive but but it, more and more it feels like that aperture is just <laughs> 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 it's just getting smaller and smaller that stuff can yeah. and uh, and then like partly i think it's because it sounds rote mm-hmm. to me you know, the R-O-T-E wrote yep. that I, um, so much of it sounds recycled and, and, and I guess naturally so There like you pointed out, there's only the, the 12 semitones and the 26 letters yeah. to work with. And eventually there's, there's going to be a lot of rehashing of things. And it's, it's in maybe an even bigger magic trick to, to, to do that. And, and it doesn't show, you know, that it isn't just obvious yeah. what's going on there. But like speaking of the great Dylan, that this new record the rough and rowdy ways that he put out is it sounds to me for all the world like a guy who has done everything and then done it again and for so long that he he pushed himself through this 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 amazing like transformation like he he redefined what a what a song is what a what I say a pop song as distinct from like classical music, you know, where it's sure. lyrics and the chords and stuff. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and with that song, uh, uh a murder most foul, he just like, he just broke open into a whole new landscape of like, this is a song now, <laughs> you know, <laughs> this like 17 minute soliloquy over the beautiful improvised piano thing that is happening is like, that's a song now. Here you go. And when I heard that, I thought, wow, this is so, I can, I really can do this for the rest of my life. Yeah. <laughs> you know, <I'm> <laughs> <laughs> there good. really is no end. Uh, but I might have to, like, go around this same familiar cycle uh, maybe a thousand more times or so before finally it spins into some brand new, some brand new universe Yeah, of, of what's going on.
0: Well, man, I... I look forward to seeing how that evolves for you. Um, I, want, I have a, just kind of one final wrap-up question for you, but before I get there, I wanted to just let people know where they can find you. I, I usually ask that question, but I know, because I've been giving you a little bit of a hand there, that they can find you at SeanDivineMusic.com and also on your Facebook page. I um, do a lot of live streaming, so if you want to check out Sean, take a search for Sean Divine, go to Sean
1: Divine Music, and you should find a link to them in other places yeah sean divine music is the is the new handle that's the website and the facebook page uh great and then there's an instagram page at uh sean m divine uh, sean underscore m underscore divine where i'm also posting uh videos a little bit i am not i'm i never was a really heavy social media user and and i'm i'm uh i'm getting a little lighter with it even now as time goes on it yeah it, there's something there that's really, that is interesting and fun and, uh, and, and it's powerful inarguably uh, So, you know, the ability to connect with people and, and to maintain a connection and a conversation is, is it's all there, but it's also really f- feeling to me like it's becoming kind of dilute.
0: Yeah. I've enjoyed watching you, but I really miss being able to go see live shows. So looking forward to getting back to that. Yeah, me too. Um, just kind of to, to wrap it up here, Uh, you you have a ton of experience like you said you've been doing it professionally for 30 years what kind of advice do you have for somebody starting out some of the young kids in town that are just getting started as songwriters and gigging musicians I know that's a lot to ask but just any general words of wisdom
1: and I've been asked before so I've had an opportunity to 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 try out some some stuff <laughs> so, if you've heard me answer this question before, and it was, and I answered it differently, then you know, take it with a grain of salt. Uh, but I'm going to try a, a different uh, thing with that this time. It seems to me that there are maybe just a couple of basic motivations going on there, and and one of them is is to perform. Some uh, people get into it for the sake of uh, of the thrill of being on stage. Uh, maybe playing with a band in front of an audience—what that is, you know—the uh, thrill of being a performer—and then, and then separately—I mean, these things may mix or overlap, but but actually separately, there's there's the motivation to communicate and and make a piece of art that uh, that may be where, where you actually where you're going to risk embarrassment or it, it may be revealing, you know, that you you may feel like you're. Oversharing sometimes even uh, because it's necessary when you're when you're making art to uh, to take risks like that. So, I mean, I guess the reason I point out those are two different things is because maybe the sooner you can figure out uh, which of those kind of parallel courses you may be on, you can save yourself a lot of like confusion. <laughs> Unnecessary struggle. If what you really dig is being a performer and you want to be singing a song that's gonna just like light up the room and make everybody crazy, and it doesn't matter to you whether you wrote it or not, and that's you know I'm not disparaging this at all. I'm just saying that that's a thing, and uh, and you can have a great time with that, and but just you know orient yourself that way and start looking at the musical landscape in terms of like for instance George Strait, you know it's this one of these guys the most successful recording artist in the history of pop music, mm-hmm. any genre. Absolutely, far and away, the most successful by any metric. And, and I was reading a really interesting article about George Strait. That was, The writer pointed out that he could also be characterized, among his many accolades, as the most successful song picker on Music Row, yep. because he only has co-writing credits on maybe a half dozen uh, of the songs that appeared on George Strait albums. It's really not much of a portfolio as a songwriter at all. But he's, he has an ear for a song for him to sing. Uh-huh. Apparently an, an unerring <laughs> ear for what is a George Strait song. No matter who wrote it or what ear it comes from, he knows a George Strait song when he hears one and he can pick them and he can make them hugely Thanks. successful. And I think that George has had a lot of fun being George Strait. You know, I really do. I think that's been a great ride. Uh, But then so there's, you know, on the other side of that are our singer songwriters who are playing little hole in the wall gigs, you know, and they're sitting like on stools in the round, you know, to this day at the Bluebird in Nashville, hoping that maybe a recording artist of that stature will, will cut one of their songs. But but they're they're writing songs for the songs and for the the experience for the that kind of separate journey of being a, a creative artist and a writer, and uh, you know, you could say a singer-songwriter is trying to straddle worlds in in this way. you're, you're trying to be some of both of those things. Yep. But if you really are into the writing, you know, if that's the thing, and you feel like, like I just described, where you feel like there's a a universe of possibility in that and what that is and you orient yourself that way and and accept you know maybe that it's you're you're going to approach the industry differently you're going to approach the idea of success and what that means differently and 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 have a, also a great time that can also be really fun it's just it's a different reason to to be Going through what it takes to be in the music industry, you know the the, the hard knocks and the setbacks and and the long long stretches of of, of just struggle yep. just perseverance that that is just keeping yourself going forward and and in the game and on a stage somewhere doing it for for what you're there to do it for. I just think it'd be helpful if, for young people to to be able to understand their own their own motivation. I think that's great advice, man. And, and uh,
0: I think with that, I'd, I'd like to end the show there. Uh, that's some of the best advice I've heard for starting musicians. I wish um, I would have caught on to that a long time ago. Anyway, <clears throat> thank you very much, uh, everybody, for listening. Thanks, Sean, for being on the show. And um,
1: It's been really a pleasure, Jamesy. Thanks for inviting me. Yeah. Hope to have you again sometime soon. All right. Thank you